You're listening to a podcast from the Media Motel. Coming up this week in episode 501, Jules Holland, national treasure or irksome presenter, the long, long life of Mr. Brightside and the explosion of non-fungible tokens. That's all coming up after the small faces and Tin Soldier. one of the best singles ever released uh, that there's, seems fair. <laughs> <laughs> there's a clip of them performing this song on youtube from the french television show bouton rouge in 1968 mm. and everything about that performance is just perfect i watch it every couple of weeks i just love wow. it so much released in 1967 on the immediate label number nine in the uk on the singles chart small faces with pp arnold and tin soldier 
just a brilliant brilliant choice like like you say such a wonderful song and the thing I love about I, I suppose it I, I know that I this seems a bit ridiculous I am the child that's playing with the box that they've got the Christmas present in rather than the Christmas present itself when you say the label immediate yeah. such iconic typography that instantly the, the 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 immediate in that in the writing just kind of I can see it instantly it's 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 just it's everything I know that you occasionally don't understand my love of vinyl and and, and sort of hard copy things <laughs> mm-hmm. but I do actually have that on vinyl in an immediate sleeve oh, and lovely. it's a beautiful thing it really really is well hello it's the parish council this is episode 501 i'm terence stackham and on a rooftop in brooklyn at one in the morning watching the lights flash it's juliet harris oh bless you for referencing pj harvey i love how you're always aware of my needs i very much appreciate that hello everyone some people's careers would never have recovered so easily as Jules Holland after an incident on TV mm. in the 1980s during a trailer for the television <laughs> show The Tube. Um, yet Jules Holland has serenely carried on with his career, very successfully, it should be noted. Um, mm. He's been leading the Jules Holland Rhythm and Blues Orchestra since 1987. Mm. And since 1992, he's been the host of Later with Jules Holland on BBC TV. One thing I didn't know until this week about Later is that it's a huge success all around the world. It's syndicated to Australia, Canada, it America. It's a huge thing, yeah. Yeah, all across Europe, United Arab, Arab, Arab Emirates. Um, it's massively popular. Uh, Jules, you've told us before you have something of a soft spot for Jules Holland. Mm. And does that expect, extend to his music show Later? Well, the strange thing about this is, is that I had started to feel like a lot of people that the later format had become quite tired. Um, it's just people playing in a room, isn't it? It's, it's you know, it's it's, it's Jules. I've often said that as, as an interviewer, Jules Holland makes an excellent piano player. Yeah. And it's, and it's you know, it, and, but the strange thing is, is that it has adopted to lockdown, adapted to lockdown really well uh, so uh, we, we agreed that we watched the same episode yeah. i'm enjoying our watch our, our sort of not in real time watch alongs very much by the way so so we watched um so we're on series 57 which in itself is slightly insane mm. isn't it and i think we watched um episode six it was the Correct. last of the current the current run mm. um they're calling it lockdown later which i think is quite sweet and i really enjoyed it because it's adapted, I and I and I enjoyed some of the ones I saw in the summer as well. It's adapted in that rather than Jules Holland trying to be kind of hi everyone, I'm the ringmaster of ceremonies, which he does and I think overdoes sometimes. Mm. It's a lot more natural, and he has sort of guests in, and although they're sat apart, and I particularly enjoyed Ollie Alexander from years and years on this episode, mm. who I thought was really lovely actually. He was. And and Jules Holland, I think you know when he's actually natural and when he doesn't feel like he has to put on this kind of ringmaster of ceremonies sort of thing he was actually you know they got on he was quite charming there was an enjoyable joke about a picture of Jules Holland and Stevie Wonder which made me laugh a lot I must admit and and I enjoyed the the concept that they're getting they get someone in to pick their favorite tunes from the archive and I thought what was very interesting and I you know I often I think I often have dismissed later as being very kind of you know samey they get the same bands on 
actually later got a huge diversity of people on and I don't think I'd ever quite really appreciated that until they had Ollie Ollie Alexander on who picked various uh, you know sort of things that he liked and I think you know it showed obviously where, where Ollie is is a lot of the, the the choices he picked were not all but mostly either women or you know minority ethnic or something like that and 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 there was all that st- all that stuff was there all of those people had been on Jules Holland so so I I that made me think about it slightly differently and actually when Jules Holland calms down a bit his <laughs> I do quite enjoy his avuncular charm and, and actually yes there might be people that are better presenters and he does benefit from the fact that his show is the only music one on TV now but actually it's it, I, I found it quite comforting really I thought it was nice to have him there it was nice to have the show there it was it was obviously very poignant in places as well when you know they showed the footage of people you know all crammed in together and it was it was very I found that quite upsetting actually of sort of mm. how far removed the current the current situation is and it's not latest fault you know it's, it's obviously the, the circumstances but I also it, it, there was a lovely moment of great national comfort when we were all locked down for New Year's Eve and yet later with Jules, you know, later Hootenanny still managed to go on. I remember someone tweeting saying, God, the pressure on Jules Holland this year because <laughs> no one else has got anything else to do. But in, in the times of, you know, national weirdness where we can't have live, live music at all and it all seems very strange, I found it quite comforting that this kind of low-key version of later was 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 still going on really so so maybe I mean I don't know who knows what will happen what we'll go back to when that will be but much like BBC's question time I actually felt that the circumstances that have forced it to adapt have actually made it a better program than it originally was well we're a long way apart on this um I, I have a very different view and, and I'm not actually blaming Jules Holland personally for this um <laughs> well that's very kind of you I'm, I'm sure, sure he'll be yeah. yeah I'm sure <laughs> you know that'll make his weekend somewhat easier to to, to endure um why MTV succeeded and I, I believe it's a formula that can't be beaten was mm. because you got more or less one video after another with minimum fuss and generally the commercials fitted in just as well, very bright, yeah. colourful. Uh, they were absorbed into the package. Only the rise of YouTube seemed to kill MTV. Mm, YouTube, of course, true, allows actually. you... Yeah. yeah, you can choose your own visual playlist. It's self-selecting, so you, isn't it? So you yeah, your own exactly, programmer, exactly. yeah. So you don't have to sit through videos you don't like. And this relates to why later with Jules, and as I say, it's not Jules's fault, is everything I hate about pop music on television. I, I, it, it, you've got a clinical set, it's slow paced, and where I do have a, a word with Jules is it's a presenter who seems to have very little knowledge of current music and also appears to have conducted mm. no research whatsoever, um, shouting out to one of the assistants behind the camera to remind him um, certain facts and figures. I've been to a recording of later at Television Centre um, and watched as Jules Holland uh, read his lines from a massive flip chart carted mm. round by a young woman standing next to the camera. This edition we watched was of course yeah, as you said, heavily influenced in its staging by the impact of the pandemic of course it was no audience and it seemed to be presented from Jules House you're right the guest Ollie Alexander I thought he came across very well he was uh, charming he, he, I thought yes uh, very much a lovely chap um personally I didn't warm to his endless choice of old clips from later but again it could be an age thing a taste thing I don't know but it reinforced my this is everything I hate view because Pop music compilation shows should be fast and exciting. Mm, I and I so, found yeah. this was dull, slow paced. And for me, I'm afraid, boring. 
<laughs> which is ironic given that the opening track was being boring by the pet shop boys it's interesting that and, and actually maybe maybe the the you know these hellhound times in which we continue to live have changed me slightly because i think at one time i probably would have felt the same way as you but at the moment I'm quite happy for things to go slowly. I don't. I don't feel like I could go fast ever again at the moment, really. So, so, so actually, in ordinary times, I might have agreed with you, but at the moment, that suited me. I thought it was all right. <laughs> well, it's on the iPlayer. If you would like to watch the episode we watched, BBC iPlayer, uh, season fifty-seven, episode six of Later with Jules Holland. Coming up next. Why is the killer's Mr. Brightside still in the singles chart? Like grindweed. That's right after Elwood.
Now, I'm sure that our very knowledgeable listeners will have spotted that that is a cover. Um, I absolutely love that version. And I strangely, I was not aware until I think a few weeks ago that Gordon Lightfoot was the original singer of that, really. I, I, Bless I, your youth. I know, because so this was part of my youth, this version. Um, Elwood was a musical project collaboration between two brilliantly named pr- people, um, Prince Elwood Strickland III and uh, Brian Boland, which are both excellent names in different ways, I think. And they, they it was a sort of a, a, um, a collaboration. Um, the cover of, of this song, so it was all, weirdly, it was all over Radio 1. This, this was 2000 that this came out. And... You'd think, well, how is this really, you know, a Radio 1 record, you know, a cover of an easy listening track that's, you know, 30 odd years old. It seemed to become the choice of the daytime Radio 1 presenters who thought themselves a little bit edgy, I think, mm. or their producers that would find, I think at that point in time, producers had, you could you could pick one or two records that weren't on any of the A, B or C lists, or those might have been C listed, I don't know, but um, you could kind of just pop a track in, mm. as a result of which this was on quite a lot and I I really loved it and I, I, I love the version of it I mean the, the original is brilliant as well it's a great song I don't think anybody could truly wreck this song but I I like the I like this kind of sun fried slight sort of yeah. uh, sort of hip hop vibes to this I, I really enjoyed that and actually although I love the original I I don't feel having heard the original that I now can't like this anymore so, so that was uh, Elwood's version of Sundown I absolutely love it. And I, I played the album yesterday as well when um, I saw you pick this. And mm. I love that too. It's, it's good, isn't it? It's, yeah. it? I'm surprised that it isn't, it feels like a cult record, really. I'm surprised mm. that, that, that no one's kind of picked it up and that we haven't had a big sort of, you know, thought piece on what a great record it is that no one knows, really. It's And, it, and perhaps, you know, that might spin off into another thing about the music press we have now is so heritage and so blinkered that nobody does that sort of thing. But anyway, we won't. We won't go there, but um, yeah, I'm glad you enjoyed it. It's lovely. Um, Mr. Brightside, in in musical Mm. terms, a very simple (laughs) song that was the first single released by the American band The Killers. It reached number 10 in both the UK and the States and has remained popular by popping up on on TV and movies, including the rather sweet film The Holiday with Cameron Diaz, which uh, we all watched over Christmas. uh, I was going to say, this is somewhere else where we're going to disagree, I'm afraid. But anyway, move on. Oh, bless (laughs) The Holiday. It's so sweet. Um, Anyway, so... <laughs> so far, so good. Now, in a, in a jarring generalisation, I'm going to say that if you're much over 30 years old, you may very well not follow the UK pop music charts yeah, with too enough. much fascination. Um, the top reaches of the charts are filled with people you may never even have heard of: Central C, Mimi Webb, Masked Wolf, and we could all think, well, that's fine. We all had our time following our favourite acts. Absolutely, up the pop yeah. Charts, and now let's leave it to today's teenagers except if you head down further in the pop charts down below the top 40 and look between number 60 to 100 you find lewis capaldi someone you loved on its 114th week in the chart harry styles is there week number 57 ed sheeran perfect week number 166 on the chart and say hello to the killers mr brightside is up to this week it's up to number 73 enjoying its 261st consecutive week on the singles chart what what accounts for all of this jules 
It's very strange, this, isn't it? And and actually, it's Mr. Brightside. Um, it's a very... It's, so there was a good piece about this in Vox in 2017. And this isn't Vox, the 90s music magazine. This is the, the online website, which right. is a few years old. Um, it, it's... it's, um, it's so, so Mr. Brightside has become what young people refer to as a meme. Mr. Brightside is a huge hit online that I've watched so many different YouTube versions of Mr. Brightside where people have done strange things to it. So so there's a version where it gets to coming out of my cage and then it just loops that all the way through the song. Um, there is a there's a version that me and my friend are particularly fond of where whoever it is that's, that's kind of done the track speeds it up by 5% every time there's a pronoun. As my friend put it, it starts off hilarious and then ends up becoming really yeah. stressful by the end. But um, but it's 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 become a, a song. It just seems to have its 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 claws. Into, I mean, it's it's really strange. When I went back in the olden days when we could go places and I was I was DJing at, at pubs and, and clubs, I used to do quite a lot of weddings. And, you know, it, quite often you'd find that the taste of the people that were having the wedding, which was why they booked you, they liked the music that you played, would not match its guests who'd spend their whole, whole often miserable evenings bartering me for things that I didn't have. But I learned <laughs> fairly early on that the way to solve this problem was to spend, and it's quite, so Mr. The bright side on seven inch single it's really expensive i paid like 20 quid for it second hand and it's now worth like 55 according to discogs it's really dear because this song is still so popular but the but the, the but the reason i bought it is that if you've got a wedding of often disparate people of ages and tastes mm. That's the song that everyone wants. If you put that on, literally, the dance floor just there's this stampede, and it's people I would say aged between twenty and fifty. It's mm. a really broad range of people that seem to enjoy that song. Um, so uh, there is something about I don't know what it is. Sometimes it's really difficult to explain. Um, that this um that this uh, Vox has a go at explaining this particular song. Um. According to this, lead singer and lyricist Brandon Flowers co-wrote the song with the guitarist Dave Cooning, and it was the first song they ever wrote together, which is perhaps why it's it's still so fresh. And also, I hadn't realised the reason why it becomes it's. I suspect it's become anthemic is that it's mostly sung on one note. So oh, okay. quite a lot of the song revolves around it doesn't his vocal does not go many places does it the chorus mm. it, the, the verse and the chorus are on one note they're different notes but they're both on one note aren't they but yeah it's yeah exactly it's but it's very strange isn't it how and it's it does indicate that charts are not in a great place if the but I mean. To, um, you might argue perhaps it's always been like that because there's always been a bit of a focus on the top 40 and in the olden days perhaps the top 75 that that was the definition for if something was a hit it was it was top 40 but it charted if it was in you know the top 75 so so i maybe this has always been happening we just haven't focused on it i don't know and maybe the maybe having all the chart online makes it easier to see what is going on but i very much enjoyed this article by uh, i think it's 
it's uh, Ben Mark Beaumont. I thought it was the other one, but no, it's Mark Beaumont, which op- opens the opening line is one for the ages on on the enemy's website. Have you ever been to the bottom end of the official UK single charts top 100? Don't. It's an effing horror show down there, <laughs> <laughs> and it is very much. It's very much like it. You know, it's 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 really strange and it perhaps shows how little new music is being made or adopted that you know that the the, the, you know shallow which was the which was the the star is born tune lady gaga and bradley cooper it's been there 101 weeks in Mm. the bottom which you know for something that was a a spin-off of a film is really strange um it's it's very, very odd. The enemy is, is, has some thoughts about whether or not Mr. Brightside is a song that's speaking to a pan-generational mind, gen, mindset about the fact that it it sort of dates predates the the stock market crash. Um, and uh, there's lovely phrase here. We've all had to force ourselves to be brightsides in order to navigate the horrors of the world. And um, but it's perhaps no accident the song has been in the chart almost constantly since anyone first said the word Brexit. I mean, the song reminds me of university you know that it's it's it feels like a song that's beamed in from a different age so maybe the two things that are going on here is that mr brightside just has a perfect storm of elements that means that it just never stops appealing to people and also the fact that you know and this sort of seems to go back to things we we talked about in the podcast before about the lack of live music venues even before the pandemic and you know the 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 lack of bands that we talked about the other week and this idea that if everyone can make music in their bedrooms then the lack of music press and you know obviously as we've just said the lack of regular music shows on tv means it's almost impossible for there to be a, a, a kind of a, for people to be able to sort through this, I think, really. There's there's very little in the way of curation, which means that everyone buys different things in terms of new things, which means that new things can't then dominate, which means because it's easier than ever to buy old music on iTunes, that's what people keep buying. I, w- I was looking at this strange success, sort of ongoing success of Mr. Bryce mm. and found that this success on streaming um, is not just a British notion. Is it, for example, in Ireland, Mr. Brightside is streamed an average of eighty thousand times each week, and indeed in Ireland, it's the most streamed track of the two thousands. And you find similar successes all around the world. And it's streaming. Mm. I think there's a theory that it's streaming uh, that is at the heart of this because these songs that we were mentioning. I think you mentioned Lady Gaga, and I was saying about Louis Capaldi, Harry Styles, and Mr. Brightside is that they turn up endlessly on, for example, Spotify, uh, streaming this. You know, you get these things like um, sort of things you used to get in uh, gas stations, petrol stations as impulse purchases, like you know, Jeremy Clarkson's top mm. 50 driving songs. Well, I've that's... got so many Northern Soul compilations exactly. that I've bought in service stations that are four quid. And you just think, oh, there's three things on this I haven't got. Why not? Exactly. Well, now that exactly that situation has moved on to streaming. Of course, mm. streaming um, statistics now um Yes. account for a large amount of the success of a song on the singles charts and these sort of songs like Mr Brightside turn up on those sort of compilations oh, all the time yes you know, music to help you get through the day your Monday boost you know these sort of things and that seems to be accounting for a great deal more success on the charts than people actually physically buying a, a, a single and these days, it's completely possible, even a regular occurrence, for a single to reach number one based on downloads and streaming only, sometimes mm. even without a physical release at all. 
And this also means we get this I found really interesting when I looked into this, Mm. that we get amazing, spectacular rises and falls if a song is relevant only for a specific reason. And so, for example, in 2018, um, when England reached the World Cup semi-finals, three lions by the lightning seeds went to number one. Fair enough, you understand. But when England yeah. lost the semi-final, it went from number one to number ninety-seven in the UK singles charts in one week because no one was streaming it anymore because England were out of the World Cup. Mm. And there's an even more recent example of how streaming is now the major contributor to chart success because in January of this year, um, twenty twenty-one. Wham! and Last Christmas went from number one to disappearing outside the top 40 altogether in one week because wow. nobody was streaming it because Christmas was over. How um, interesting. It's an extraordinary move. And it, it but you could, be... you could argue, though, sorry to interrupt, but ma- perhaps you could argue that mm. in a way, maybe, and I, you know, feel free to disagree, I, I suspect you might, but um, <laughs> I, I, um, maybe that is a more accurate reflection mm. Than the, the, than the singles chart ever was of how people are actually listening to and consuming music. Maybe it's a better guide. I, I do agree. And so I, was yeah. gonna say, I think it all means really that the charts are now solely being, a, they're a reflection mm. of what's popular in that week alone, rather than an indicator of a growing career. And mm. I fear, you know, that the sea shanty chap may yes. find that out with his follow up to Wellerman, you know, which is that, oh, that was a funny thing we all did over Christmas and the start mm. of the new year, wasn't it? You know, oh, the Wellerman come. But he he may think, and I hope, you know, for him that he does have a career, but he may be thinking, oh, this is the boost and I've got a big career in the music business. I suspect, you know, that was it. And because it was streamed so heavily, because everybody's saying, oh, this mm. is, you know, funny, isn't it? Have you heard this? Um, but it, so now, as we were both, I think, confirming, it's really just a snapshot of what's popular that week rather than a, an indicator of a, a career being built brick by brick. Yeah, I suspect that is the case. And that might, in its own way, have long term ramifications for music. Yeah. I, I think I think it I think it does. I think it's a huge sea change. Um, coming right up, blockchain technology and non-fungible tokens. Mm, oh, I don't, I'm very worried about this, Terry. <laughs> this might be the first time we ever have a topic that goes under one minute if we're ba- basing it on what <laughs> I know. <laughs> well, musicians and artists are all scrambling on that bandwagon. We'll find out a bit more about it after Chris Difford. Was it fate that made it happen? Was it just the way it was? The day we met, our loneliness was lost.
glass held in both hands. It's a celebration no one understands but me. We were the monkeys. We were the captain and Tennille. a lovely song written about his songwriting partnership and times in squeeze with glenn tilbrook from his splendid solo album i didn't get where i am in 2003 chris difford and no show jones Mm, i enjoyed that actually i wasn't familiar with it i'm familiar more with his work in squeeze but i thought that was great his solo albums chris difford's solo albums all have great titles Um, there's um southeast side story (laughs) yeah like that Kashmir, if you can. <laughs> and my favourite, The Last Temptation of Chris. <laughs> <laughs> Very good. I like that. I'll have to check this out, I think. Um, in, in the fairy tale, sometimes a pantomime, Jack and the Beanstalk, Jack trades his family's only viable asset, a cow, for a handful of beans. This which is such initially... a great introduction, Terence. I love this. This is this is your <laughs> finest work. <laughs> it initially seems like madness that he does that, until it turns out that Jack ends up with a bag of gold and an enchanted goose that lays golden <laughs> eggs. And I'm reminded of this uh, tale every time I read about bitcoins, blockchains and non-fungible tokens. Are they a handful of beans, worthless beans, or are they the goose laying golden eggs? Here, here's the thing. Last week, a writer for the New York Times, Kevin Roos, just for the fun of it, printed out his regular column for the business section, mm-hmm. framed it and put it up for auction as a non-fungible token. And the final winning bid 
$560,000. goodness sake. All of which we can dismiss as modern age madness until we learn that this non-fungible token NFT business is breaking through to the mainstream, especially in music. Mm. You've got Gorillaz, Calvin Harris, The Weeknd, all making a bundle. Uh, I don't know. What do you say, Jules? Is this our future or is this the Emperor's new outfit? I, I suspect the latter, which almost certainly means that we will all have these in five years' time. But um, my yeah. predictions, once both of our predictions, being notoriously so excellent on this podcast throughout. But um, I, I just, yeah, I, to me, this just feels like Bitcoin um, and the dot-com bubble, I think, particularly in the late 90s and early noughties. It just feels like as far as the economy is concerned you could even trace this back to you know to sort of the gold rush the stock market crash mm. it just seems to be a, a bubble, the whole exactly <laughs> it's just another it's just another thing where everyone gets massively into something the market gets completely out of control and then it crashes and i find it difficult just because it's based on something that is so just doesn't it, the the value of that printed out column the actual value of that printed out column is so divorced from what someone paid for it that i just can't see this ending in anything other than disaster really and it's interesting i what i what i also find interesting is is that the the idea that that it's not almost not based on a physical value and yet it does come down to physical value and it did make me laugh that that you know admittedly unkindly that someone ended up there was that bloke that ended up having to dig through a rubbish a, a rubbish dump oh, because yeah. he'd managed to throw away five million pounds worth of about five million dollars worth of bitcoin bitcoin which was on a hard drive which is a uh, physical thing isn't it so it does make <laughs> me laugh that when it comes down to it you can have these wacky oh yes we don't have money anymore yeah but we do because it's because it's on something somewhere and if you lose that thing then you have lost your money so so it's very strange i mean non-fungible tokens that you very kindly sent me an article from the Guardian about this, and I will read out a paragraph describing what they are. Uh, let me know if you're any wiser at the end of this paragraph, because I'm not sure I was. <laughs> NFTs are digital tokens linked to tangible or intangible values, such as a photo drawing, video song, or experience, such as collaborating with an artist or VIP tickets. And haven't we been here before with VIP packages? Mm, the tokens are secured using blockchain technology, which cannot be tampered with or hacked. So a bit like a physical thing. Those NFTs can be sold or resold, primarily on the the Ethereum blockchain, this is the particularly incomprehensible sentence to me. Yes, I... Decentralized network for trading with Ether, the second biggest cryptocurrency after Bitcoin, as a friend of mine says, yes, they are all words, and come with certificates of ownership that confirm the provenance of their exclusivity or uniqueness. Like a thing, I, I, I find this just so... I just cannot put together how this is different to a thing. This is different to a mug. I guess what they're trying to say is that nobody else has a thing like yours, I guess. But which, which you know, you could argue is just like, you know, bespoke handmade clothes or, or handmade handmade crafts, except it involves a lot of money and a computer somewhere i i'm i'm really really struggling with this i just the problem is i can't give you a, a judgment on whether or not this is good or bad for the music industry because i just can't work out what the hell it is that's the problem and this could be my own my own ignorance and i should really move with the times and understand things i'm just really struggling with it i'm just i'm just i cannot 
I cannot. Um, the, the, I think that the, the summary for this is uh, the last sentence of the article says, for now, however, artists and their art fear becoming a secondary concern as the tech hype takes hold. And this is it, really. The thing is, because we can't work out what this is, it's just nothing, isn't it, really? But just with a ton of money behind it, which will eventually collapse. It's the music business bit that intrigues and sort of mm. mildly horrifies me because, mm. as you referred to, um, now, if I've understood this correctly, one piece of this bizarre puzzle that, that really that really troubles me, it seems that the, these mm. non-fungible tokens, in terms of the music business, are aimed at being one-offs, as I think you said, mm. uh, items that are a unique experience. Yeah. Like a band, in terms of music now, it's like a band bundling in new songs and perhaps front row seats at gigs and a special yeah. beat the band experience. Okay. But a fundamental part of this whole procedure is that these NFTs are trading commodities, mm. um, like you were saying on this weirdly named Ethan Neum or something. Yes. So, <laughs> yeah. So like the New York Times blokes column, these assets, which to us are, you know, perhaps one of our favorite bands or artists, you know, gosh, you know, there's a chance to meet them. There's front row tickets, mm. special, um, an album that nobody else has got these assets you know so just pare it down to say a tour pass and a vip experience they end up going to people with more money than cents it's like all the people who go to hospitality at wembley for the cup final or to the o2 to see madonna Mm. or ed sheeran or fleetwood mac for the experience of going not because they're massive fans Mm. one-off assets (laughs) of course as you highlighted are making millions of dollars um so yeah, I, well, I, I really could only echo what you say, say that at this stage in the development of non-fungible tokens and the like, it's all cloaked in mystery. Yeah, it all seems very strange to me. And also this article uh, quotes a partner at the legal firm, Lewis Silkin, and saying that there is there there are implications to this in terms of... Um, that the, the songwriter being concerned in that by accepting the sort of the gift of of you know of non-fungible tokens that this could breach publishing agreements um it also could be treated as a buyout as opposed to a licensing agreement so this is this is uh, to use the technical the technical modern trendy firm this is a great disruptor i don't know what's going to happen but it it feels very far away from buying a band's music to me but as you say, in a year's time, we may be talking to each other and say, yeah, did you see that uh, non-fungible token at the top of the charts this week? Oh, yes, yeah, well, I, I've got my copy. You know, we'll <laughs> I've oh, got yes, my yes, copy, yes. which is different to yours, of course, <laughs> yes. Thanks very much for listening to episode 501. I very much agree. Thank you. It's nice to have you along. Now, um, Julia, I'll be auctioning your radio shows as a non-fungible <laughs> token. So I'm hoping for another live radio show on Sunday to add to more, my portfolio. Well, you're in luck, Sati, because, <laughs> hooray, but I, I, I'll, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll belch halfway through so you'll know that it's for you. Um, it's, uh, it's, it's been a year since I've started doing Smooth Sailing. It will be wow. the first anniversary show on, on Saturday. I have, on Sunday, That's I something. haven't quite, I haven't quite managed 
one a week, but I think it's show 47 or something, which I'm quite pleased to have done 47 in a year. That's not bad. So, so yeah, it's the usual, usual drill, uh, Sunday evening, 7 till 9 p.m. on my Mixer channel, which is mixer.com forward slash Juliet hyphen Harris, or just go to mixlr.com and search for my name. And Yacht Rock, Easy Listening, Classic Pop, just lots of songs that, that are just, you know, that are, that are pleasant to listen to as we all wind down on a Sunday evening. And it's worth five hundred and sixty thousand dollars <laughs> on the blockchain. Um, absolutely, and printed out and put on the wall. Yeah, absolutely. Exactly. Um, I love this um, track you've chosen to close us out today. It's, it's a wonderful flow of state of consciousness. Yeah, it's 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 quite a thing, isn't it? It's there's some age to this now as well, which is you know, may, who knows? Maybe this will find itself at number ninety eight of the charts for the next uh, <laughs> for the next uh, the next year. Who knows? But anyway, I I really like this band. They, they no longer exist. Um, they were an American soul coughing of the band, an American alternative rock band. Um, described on all music as one of the most unusual cult bands of the nineteen nineties. Mike Doughty stream of consciousness poetry that very much. Sort leads and do this song's been revolving around my head really for the last sort of 48 hours or so um i it's really unusual and really strange and not like much else that i've heard so i thought i'd pick it for this week and um, the band like i say is soul is soul coughing and the tune is called screenwriters blues exits to freeways twisted like knots on the fingers jewels cleaving skin between breasts
play about lovers who murder each other. I am going to Los Angeles to see my own name on a screen five feet long and luminous. As the radio man says, it is 5 a.m. and the sun has charred the other side of the world and come back to us and painted the smoke over our heads and imperial violet. It is 5 a.m. and you are listening to Los Angeles. It is 5 a.m. and you are listening to Los Angeles. You are listening. Listening to a Parish Council production. <laughs> <laughs>